Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're going to be doing the State of the Church this morning, um, so it's going to be a little bit dissimilar from normal, um, and uh, so feel free to just relax, turn on the brain. I promise you, you probably won't go to sleep. It's not going to be like a boring, if you've never been to one of these, it's not going to be like a boring church meeting, um, but we're going to talk honestly about the state of the church, especially BVC, and what we're hoping to accomplish over the next year. All of you probably make New Year's resolutions, or you say that you're going to make New Year's resolutions, and then, well, after week one, you kind of just start eating the chocolate again, or whatever it may be uh, that your New Year's resolutions were. And so it is normal and typical for us to also make some New Year's resolutions as well. Um, we do this again at the beginning of the year because it's the beginning of the year. Also, lots of folks are gone over the holidays, and so it tends to be our core who is here, and so it is primarily uh, directed to you, um, although everyone, even if it's your first time at BBC, awesome, you know, just welcome, and uh, you'll get something out of it as well. Well, let's talk about how we can achieve more for the kingdom in 2010. Let me just set it up um, in a way, um, this is going to be what our special topic is, how can we do more for the kingdom of God in 2010. Uh, one famous website the other day um, put on there, 2010, amen, right? 2009 was kind of a bad year for some of us. How many was a bad year for you? So are you guys just not honest or do you not, don't, arms don't work or? Well, for a lot of people, 2010 was a really bad year, 2009 was a really bad year uh, with the recession and all that stuff, um, Rex and I have counted at least six churches in San Jose who have either gone bankrupt or gone under just because of the economy and just because of the fact that being the most unchurched part of the whole country, that when people decide that things are bad and they're struggling and they have issues that they'd rather go to Vegas or they'd rather go to the liquor store than go to church. And so there's been a real struggle in our community over the last year. And we as a church at BBC, we are committed to addressing that. And we're going to try to address that some here in 2010. Let me tell you about the church for a second, especially if you've never been to church before um, or you don't go to church very often. The church is not a building. It is not a place. It is not a location. It is not something that we come to and attend and just sort of, you know, okay, come listen to a boring message from a guy who waves his hands and talks real loud and that sort of thing. But the church is actually the people of God working together to build up the kingdom. The church is the people. And what makes a church is what the people believe and what the people do. And one of the challenges of the church in this area is doing anything. Because Again, we live, happen to live in one of the most non-Christian areas of the country. Uh, lots of people that I share the gospel with say, look, pastor, they don't call me pastor, but they say, look, dude, I moved here to get away from religious idiots like you. I don't want you to tell me all this religious stuff, right? But yet, we also know that there are a lot of people out there in our community who are nominally Christian. What do I mean by nominally Christian? Well, they say if you ask them on a survey whether they're, what are they, they'll check Christian, but they have limited relationship with God. And those are the people, we can reach the first group, but those are the people that we can do a great deal about reaching um, this year. You know, I've noticed, I've been here as a pastor now for five years, uh, this is my fifth year, four complete years, 
And I've noticed several things about 2009 that was very different. Um, every year that I was here, except for 2009, we had a flood of random people come in, church shopping, that sort of thing. But 2009, we didn't see that. Now, why is that? Well, in my opinion, and of course this, this morning is the one time of year where you get to hear fully my opinion. Um, my opinion, and uh, from talking to people and just doing some exploration, is that when the economy went bad and things became hopeless, again, people turned to other things in this area, other than God, to fulfill their needs. Now, we're going to talk about why that's a problem and what we can do about it as a church, because those things are not going to fulfill our needs the same way that God is. Let me give you an example from the Bible. We see the church as a building, as a place. We come Easter, Christmas, maybe more often. We come, we take part, we see it, we sing. Again, we hear a boring message, but the Bible presents the church as the bulwark against hopelessness and despair in our world. You know, if a church tomorrow planted and built a building, let me just use the building for sake of argument, built a building right here across the street from us, that would be awesome. You know why? Because we are not in competition with other churches. The church is the people of God on mission to do something for the kingdom. And the challenge for us in 2010 is whether we will step up to God's challenge and be a people on mission, or whether we will be a church of attenders and attendees, people who just kind of come and have struggles with commitment and some other things. All right. So when we did the State of the Church Address last year, it's the first time we did it. I waited a couple years before we did it here. And uh, we did it, and we had three things that were challenges. One of those challenges we succeeded on, one we failed on, and one we did okay on. So this year, can we succeed on two of the three? Please? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Okay. We want to succeed on two of the three. If we succeed on two of the three, we'll have a good year. If we succeed on three of the three, we'll be have an awesome year, not because necessarily of size or numbers or money. Those things don't matter, but because of lives transformed and hope given to people. Again, the church is the bulwark against hopelessness and despair. The church is a place of hope. It should be. And so we want to be able to help people to trust in God above all else rather than the issues that they will face. Now, let's talk about how this is going to work. These are three ideas, three critical areas for growth. These are my ideas. Yes, I talked to some of you. Yes, I'd love to hear your comments and opinions. If you have suggestions, ideas, you can put on the green card. You can email me afterwards. But here's three critical areas for our church in the next year. Number one is that we must learn to totally trust God. Now, I see this over this last year, and I see this as a crack that has entered into our church, has entered into our society, has entered into a lot of your lives, which is the idea that when push comes to shove, the only thing we can trust is ourselves. The only thing out there that we can trust is us. We cannot trust anything beyond that. Um, if we get into financial difficulty, it's us that have to get ourselves out of financial difficulty. If we have struggles in our jobs, it is only us who can solve the problems or the struggles in our jobs. If we have struggles in our family, it is only us who can solve them. But the Bible tells us that we must trust God first above all else. Let's look at a couple of passages here. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in Him. 
You know, the more we trust in Him, the closer He is to us, the more He is a part of our lives because we are trusting Him rather than ourselves. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you, and He wants your life to be better than it is. I'm adding that, but of course that's the truth of Scripture. Now, here's the thing. Over the last year, what have we seen? I mean, let's just be honest. This is the honest session, right? We've seen lots and lots of people who are like, Pastor, I'm really busy right now. I'm working a fourth job because I'm struggling, and so I can't do church anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't be involved. I can't do this. I can't do that, right? You know, I can't, I'm not able to share the gospel anymore because I have to share my new business that I started to make more money. But all these things, in my opinion, reflect a problem with us trusting God. First, above all else. Let me just be honest with you this morning. And, and I, you know, I've watched over the last year, and I've, and I've talked to many of you. I mean, that look, on an average Sunday right now, we only have 130, 40 people on Sunday morning that come to church. But there's 400 of you on the mailing list. Many of you don't come to church at all, but will email me from time to time and talk to me. So I have a good feeling of what's going on in the community. By the way, I don't say that to knock anybody. I just say that's the, where we're at, right? And, the, and I know that so many people have turned away from God as being the first source and foundation of their lives. They give lip service to God when they can make it to church, but otherwise God is just an accessory rather than the foundation. My friends, for you to be successful this year, for the church to be successful this year, we have got to overcome this, and we have got to fully trust God above all else. Look, here's the thing. The Bible says that God is the best solution we have. The Bible says that God is the best solution we have. More jobs is not a solution. It may help, okay? And I don't say that lightly because I know that many of you have lost your jobs. I know that many of you have struggled. I, believe me, I am incredibly, incredibly uh, care for you and desire for you to have gainful employment and to be able to pay your bills. I really do with all my heart. But I know at the end of the day, that your trust and faith in God will drive your life and make the difference, not your second job. Not your trust in anything else. God is the best solution that we have. Look, here's the thing. This is the reason why this is. Because the world tries to take our eyes off the ball as much as possible. And every opportunity the world tries to do that. It tries to take our eyes off the ball. What's the ball? What is the ball? What, what is the ball? Let me just ask this. I know it's a sports metaphor, ladies, I apologize, but what is the ball? Well, God is the ball, but let's be a little bit more specific because then people say, oh, okay, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to, you know, serve. I don't have to worship. I can just go sit on the mountain and twiddle my thumbs, and this is me worshiping God right here. I'm sorry? Purpose? Okay, and what is our purpose? I mean, there's several different ways to say it, but, I mean, lots of different examples in the Bible, but one of them would be what? Well, okay, and the way we do that is to be a disciple of Jesus. That, that would be one. You, there's other metaphors you can use. But being, getting to heaven, having a purpose, is doing what God calls us to do. Believing it and doing it. They both go hand in hand. And the problem is the world tries to take our eyes off the ball. You know, Paul says for us to run the race so as to win it. But to be honest with you, the average churchgoer in the West, the average churchgoer in America last year, the average churchgoer, in San Jose, and even the average BBC runs the race so as to 
just get by. Because the average BBCer runs the race just so to, I don't know, do what? <laughs> just be okay. But God doesn't want you to be okay. He wants you to run your race of life so as to win it. To win it. And by the way, in last year, with the terrible economy and all the struggles we have, it doesn't seem possible to win. But it is possible to win if God is the one who is the deciding one of what is victory and what is failure. Now, I'm just being honest here because trusting God is the challenge that many of us are going to struggle with. This is going to be the one we fail. Why? Because if we go back last year, remember I said we succeeded in one, we failed in one, and we did okay in one. What's the one we failed in? What was point number one, the big issue number one last year's day of the church? Anybody remember? It's fine if you don't. I know it's been there. Commitment. To be committed. And commitment is something that we just cannot seem to do. I know when I moved out here to California, everybody told me, Pastor, you need to understand. Oh, they call me Pastor. This is Doug. Doug, you need to understand. Californians will not commit to anything. They won't commit to anything. They won't commit to nothing. You cannot get them to commit to anything. But for us to trust in God requires us to commit to Him and to commit to serving Him. You know, let me give you an example. Here's the thing. This is, I hear this all the time. I can't, and then we'll just fill in the blank, be a part of whatever God wants because I have to whatever something. I can't help out at church because I have a second job. I can't serve on Sundays. I can't show up on time because I come back from Vegas late every weekend. I can't, you know, be involved. I can't help out at Crisis Pregnancy Center in ministry because I have to wash my hair, right? That's what, you know, when you're a guy, you know, you ask a girl out and you say, hey, will you go out, you go to coffee with me on Friday? And she says, well, I'm really busy because I have to wash my hair, right? And you're like, oh, come on. Give me one better than that, right? But it's the same way, you know? It's the same way because we, as a people, are afraid to commit because we cannot trust God above all else. I'm going to be honest with you. Serving at church or in ministry, like crisis pregnancy or whatever ministry you pick, but serving is going to be the most important thing you do next year. Why? Because it will demonstrate whether you are trusting in God or trusting in yourself. Certainly after last year, I can say that definitively. It will determine whether you're trusting more in God or trusting more in yourself. Now, here's the thing. This is what happens. The world tries to take our eye off the ball because struggles and needs kill some and pleasures and activities kill the rest. Right? Some of us are like, man, I got so many struggles and needs, I can't possibly trust God because he's out there and he doesn't understand and I've got to pay my bills, I've got to take care of my kids, I got my issues, my job, you don't understand, I got struggles and I got needs, so God falls by the wayside. Or our pleasures and activities, you know, man, I'm having a bad fourth quarter here, let's go to Tahoe and party. Seriously, let's go. Right? And that becomes the killer in that on the other side of our keeping our eye focused on the ball. So, here's the question. Let me just ask right now, and I want you all to be honest. You don't have to tell me. But I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself right now, is it struggles and needs that's keeping you from running the race to win it? Or is it pleasures and activities? 
Which one is it? Come on. Don't, don't pay attention to the kids. Pay attention up here. It's okay. What is it? Or is it both? A diddly cocktail both mixed together in your life. <laughs> one minute you're like, oh, I got to pay my bills and I don't know what I'm going to do. And you're like, forget it. Let's just go to Tahoe. Right? Both, right? Mixed together. Listen, you have got to trust God if you want a better year in 2020. Can I stand on my head and say that? Will you listen anymore? All right. Here's some things we can do. I can reevaluate my decision making. Okay? Listen, your temptation will be to do decisions without God. You will choose whether to commit your time, your money, your energy without consulting God. That, my friends, is a sure sign of not trusting Him. In order to trust God, you have to first go to Him and ask Him whether He wants you to do this. Do you need to take a third job? Do you need to move to a cheaper housing? Do you need to do, what do you need to do? God will provide you the answer if the Bible is true. Now, he may not provide you the answer you want, but that's the difference between trusting and going to the gypsy who will give you the whatever answer you ask for. Will I find love this year? Yes, you have a strong love line. Of course you'll find love this year, right? Or God who may say, you need to downgrade your lifestyle so you can serve me better. But I know that doesn't go well at all in Silicon Valley. Nobody wants to hear downgrade your lifestyle to serve me better. But that may be what God is calling you to do. Second idea, real quickly, is that we must commit to serve. We must commit to serve. You know, nothing shows that you trust God as your willingness to serve in your local church, to serve other people, to love them as Christ loved them. God calls us to be disciples, right? I mean, that, that, that's where it's at, right? He calls us to be disciples. And what does a disciple do? A disciple just follows along after someone else, right? I mean, it's really that simple. We just imitate what God wants us to do. But God was willing to serve us. He was willing to give his life away for us. The question is, are we willing to do that for other people? And specifically for you here today, are you willing to do that with people here at BBC? Because a lot of them are the ones, the ones who come in once a month, the ones who come in regularly. They're the ones who need your help, and they're the ones who you can affect. Let me give you some verses here. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.21, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Right? I know this is not fun because nobody wants to suffer. We just want to attend. We just want to come. We want to attend. We don't want to suffer. I mean, we don't even want to... I said I would only say this one time this year, and I will. I said it first service. We don't even want to show up on time. Pastor, you want me to show up on time to church? Are you kidding me? That You don't understand what kind of suffering that is. You know? And, you know, second service, Ramir and I, a lot of times we're, we're here, and, like, no one's here. Everyone's, a few people are outside. 11.30 shows up. You guys were actually on time this morning. The one Sunday I was going to mention, you guys were actually did pretty good and were on time, right? But a lot of Sundays, 11.30, and most of the people aren't even here, right? And so if we cannot suffer in the little ways and trust God in the little ways, we're not going to be able to suffer in the big things, which God is calling us to do as a church. 
feed a shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. Look, the Bible says that we are called to serve our church. I decided that if the, I'm, I'm in the process of writing several books this year, so please pray for my family and my time. But um, if I, um, I decided that if I do a book with a smaller publisher um, that is, uh, you know, just for fun, um, I'm going to do it called, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Except I'm going to call it, I do need to go to church to be a Christian, right? Because it is so often that we, we dismiss the bride of Christ. But the Bible calls the church what? The bride of Christ that he purchased with his blood. And if we care about God, we have to care about his bride. I mean, if you like me, you're not going to go up to my wife and say, hey, you big fat cow, I don't care about you. Right? Are you going to do that? I won't like that very much, just for the record. Okay? We all clear on that? If you don't learn anything else, you can't say that to my wife. We won't be friends. I'll still love you as Jesus loved you, but I won't be your friend for a while. I'll forgive you, but I won't be your friend for a while. Okay? We cool on that? But here's the thing. We cannot disrespect the bride of Christ. We cannot treat it as something that is unimportant or unuseful. We have to serve it. We have to be willing to serve the bride of Christ. We have to be willing to serve the church. The Bible says that we are called to serve our church, and it is a necessity for us to take part in that endeavor. Look, here's the thing. What is that? That's a boat, right? It's like a Viking long ship. I wanted to get like a big Viking boat with lots of oars. But you know what happens with a, a boat like that? What happens is, is that if nobody paddles, the boat goes where? Nowhere. You know what your mama told you when you were growing up? Your mama told you, you are what you eat, right? Well, the church, the bride of Christ that you represent is what you believe and do. And if everybody shows up and is unwilling to serve or do nothing, then it's going to be a church of do nothing and a church of unwillingness to serve. You know, let me tell you a little, little secret. There's lots of little secrets about life. They're really not that hard. Love God, love your neighbor. That's a big secret right there. Well, that's two. I meant two, not three. Let me tell you another little secret. Let me, let me tell you a little secret. I have pastored in churches that have ranged from, I guess, uh, probably 70 people being the smallest, uh, to 3,000 people on Sunday morning. Okay, my second job was at a church of 3,000. And they actually had more people on in attendance on Sunday morning in Sunday school than they did in their services um, because they had such an incredible educational department. And um, you know what? In that church of 3,000, that church here at BBC, church, any of the other churches I served in as pastor, I will have the opportunity to serve how many people? Eight people. That's it. Here at BBC, I only serve eight people. I do. I only serve eight people. You know, that church of 3,000, I only serve eight people in my staff position. Now, you may say, oh, pastor, wait a minute. It doesn't make sense because you preach to, you know, 150 people on Sunday morning in a given average Sunday. That's more than eight people. But I'm not really serving that many people. I'm just bloviating and talking and pontificating and all those other words that means lots of hot air coming out for you to try to do something with in your life to grow closer to God. But I only really can serve eight people. 
You know what? You can say, well, you know, if we had a better pastor, if we had famous pastor on TV who came here to BBC and was, we fired Douglas because that would be good. We'll get this old famous guy, right? Guess how many people he would serve to? Just eight people. Just eight people. See, that's the little secret. The secret is, is that we only can touch a certain number of people. We can only serve a certain number of people. But when everybody chooses to get something rather than to serve, the number of people a church can really serve is very small. Or, By the way, how many people know the average number a life group always stays at? It can grow big, it can grow small, but what is the average number of a life group? Eight, that's right, same thing. That's right. By the way, what's the average size of an extended family? Eight people. Give or take. You say seven, you say nine, but eight is where it's at. Now, here's where service comes in. You know, about three months ago, <clears throat> I got so frustrated with the church. I mean, I was, I told Chuck and Rex, I said, I, I'm not going to do it anymore. I am not going to, not pastor, I love pastoring, I love you. But I'm not going to ask anyone else at church to serve. Because I ask people all the time to serve, and everybody just says, oh yeah, sure, I'll show up, and they never do. Nobody ever does. And I said, I'm just not going to ask anybody to serve. I'm not going to ask anybody to serve. I'm just not going to do it anymore. And so they were like, okay, Pastor, just take some time off. Everything's going to be okay. You don't need to go to the mental hospital. Right? <laughs> I just, no, but I was, I was very frustrated. I was very frustrated because the more the economy and the world gets worse, the more people I would watch one by one leave BBC for the casino. They would leave BBC for a third job. They would leave BBC and just withdraw within themselves. They would leave BBC, and they would turn away from God. And I had a moment, pity party for myself, where I realized what the problem was. I had read and forgotten all the lessons of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have three major sections. You have the law, you have the writings, you have the prophets. What did the prophets do over and over again? Who was I acting like when I got really frustrated for that few weeks? I was acting like Jonah or Elijah and saying, God, I don't want to keep calling people and they just ignore me over and over again. But you know what? I realized, and by the way, if you're here in your core, you need to listen to me. But I realized, I realized that that is what discipleship is a lot of times about is being willing to call when no one will listen. Who are my eight people? Can I get them around me? Let me ask you, if you care about the bride of Christ, can you find eight people and call them, even knowing that they may not respond back to you, but call them to yourself. Call them to trust God more than anything else. Can you do that? I'm going to ask you to do that in just a minute. You know, the prophetic call of the, of the prophets of the Old Testament was to come back to God. And to win the race requires us, I am convinced after studying this last year, requires us to be willing to call people who will never respond. In fact, our whole life will be that way. We'll be calling people to respond to the gospel who never respond or who respond in part. Fortunately, some do respond. But some, many, will not. You know, I mentioned, I'll use the example I did in the first service. 
um, Ishmael, who's not in this service, but uh, he is probably one of the most faithful guys at BBC. Flat out. I mean, Ishmael, you don't see him up front. You don't ever talk to him hardly. Very quiet. One of the most faithful guys at BBC. But I will tell you what. I will tell you that if tomorrow that I came into church and Ishmael was like, hey, how's it going? He doesn't talk that way, but in my lingo. Hey, how's it going? I say, I have given up. I am not doing this anymore. I'm just going to throw in the towel. You know, I'm just going to kind of go through the motions. I don't believe this stuff anymore. I'm not trusting God anymore. Whatever it may be, what would happen to Ishmael? He would say, man, this guy has given up. He's one of my foundation. He's one of my rocks. If he gives up, I'm going to give up. Well, let me tell you, if you're here and you're core, you're committed, you're a disciple, there are people looking into your life to see whether you're going to give up or whether you're going to keep going, whether you're going to trust in God or whether you're going to trust in yourself. There are eight people who need you to call them back to God. I don't know who those eight people are, but they are there. But it requires trusting in God, commitment to Him, and a willingness to serve. That's what it requires. That's why Northern California is in such a terrible shape spiritually compared to the rest of the country. Because we cannot commit to God. We cannot trust in Him. We trust in ourselves. Now, let me mention this thing here as we move on. Most ministries only need a person willing to show up. That's the thing. I mean, that's the crazy thing about what God wants us to do and loving the, loving the bride of Christ, which is just showing up. You know, I didn't mention, I didn't give this example um, in the first service, but it's true. If someone is sick and they're in the hospital, what do they want me to do as the pastor who loves them and cares for them more than anything at all? Don't say prayer because that would not be correct. Show up. That's right, Dennis. They want me to show up. Knowing that I am there makes a difference. For most of the things that God has called you to do with the body of Christ to serve is just show up. Show up and let people know that you care about them. Who are your eight people? Show up and take a hold of them. Give them a call. Bring them to your life group. Bring them to church. Whatever it takes, get them involved. Show up in their lives. That's the first step of service. But that is the hardest step for people in Northern California to take because that requires a commitment. You know, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, a lot of times on Sunday, um, literally in the second service especially, the worship team will be here and there will be nobody. It will be like totally empty, 11.05, right? And I'll be like, come on, Ringer. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. And he'd be like, but nobody comes to 11.30. Why can't we just start at 11.30? <laughs> And I'm like, no, because it will be 12. You'll drive me crazy, you know? Just showing up is important. Why do you think it is that of all the ministries that we have at BBC, the worship team is one of the best ministries? Because they are willing to go at 11.05 even if no one's here. They will sing and they'll play their heart out at 11.05 even if none of, nobody comes. But that's what serving is all about. That's what it's about. The willingness to just show up and be faithful. And that, my friends, is something we fail at on a regular basis. By the way, so do lots of other churches, especially in the Bay Area, but we fail at this. Most ministries only need a person willing to show up. 
The question is, are you willing to show up? Are you willing to commit? Listen, this morning, here's the thing. I'm going to ask you to do this. Now, if you're core, this is easy. If this is your first Sunday at BBC, this is, you, don't, don't, don't worry about this, okay? But if, you, if this is your home, actually, even not, I'm not even going to phrase it that way. I'm going to ask every single person here this morning to commit to a church in 2010. Now, if you're out of town and you, you go to another church, then commit to that church. And by the way, let me tell you a story. About six months ago, there was a late, young lady who came to our evening service, and I, I got to know her a little bit, and I asked her, you know, just about what was going on in her life, and she said, well, Pastor, I love BBC, but I really love BBC Second. There's a church in Sunnyvale that I love more, and that's my home church, but I can't go there um, because I work on Sunday morning, they don't have Sunday evening service, so I come to your church because you're all, you're second best. I thought, second best? <laughs> no, I didn't take it that way. And so, uh, as, uh, you know, the church world tells me to do, I told her, well, you should just keep coming to my church because you'll give money to the church and that'll make everything better, right? That's what I told her, right? No, you guys, yeah, you guys know me better than that. What I do, I told her, you, in all love, you need to give up your job on Sunday morning and you need to go back to your home church and you need to serve there on Sunday morning. And you know what? I never saw her after that. Never saw her again. I thought, man, I offended her like I offend everybody else, you know. So three months later, she sends me an email and said, Pastor, I took your advice, and it was right. I, re I quit my job on Sunday morning, and I recommitted my life to Jesus, and I'm serving over there every Sunday at my church in Sunnyvale. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's what it's all about. But you know what? That requires us to trust in God because she doesn't have a career job. She just makes money whenever she can book stuff. You know what I mean? If she can't book stuff on Sunday morning, that takes out some booking time and money that she can make. But so what? Because that's not where it is. So I'm going to ask every single one of you to commit to the Bride of Christ for 2010. Can we do that? I don't say yes if you mean no, because I hear all the time, Hey, can you help out in greeters? Oh, yeah, sure, Pastor. I'll be there next Sunday morning. I don't see him for two months. I, I Seriously. I, I mean, you know. You know, I have this guy. I, I know this guy in Oakland. When I first came here, I asked him, how did you, you know, they grew from like 100 to 600 Sunday morning. I said, how did you convert all those random people who came in to being core from, from the crowd? He said, oh, we didn't. He said, we went from a church that had 20 people serving with 80 people that just weren't committed to a church of 20 people serving to 580 people who weren't committed. I said, didn't it? I mean, are you sure? <laughs> that's crazy. He said, but that's, that's the only way we, we just didn't have any success other than that. And by the way, that's what happens a lot of times in larger churches too. I mean, I've worked in larger churches and I know that just based, based on the factor of eight, you know, if I had 10 men or women who are fully sold out to the body of Christ here at Berryessa, we would just blow through. We'd have no problems, no issues, no struggles. I mean, it would be like cake. It would. It would be like cake. Can you serve in ministry, number one, in 2010? By the way, serving in ministry is largely just what? Showing up and keeping those eight people around you. Number two, make a commitment to BBC or whatever your local church is if you're visiting this weekend. And assist others in the community. Listen, here's the thing you missed. Remember the story of Ishmael that I told you? Ishmael needs to know that I am committed 
for him to commit. You may think of yourself as a quasi-committed Christian, but I'm going to tell you there's lots of not-so-very-much-committed Christians who see you and look at your life and are going to base their commitment to Christ on you. I'm sorry, but that's just the truth. Because they see you as a disciple a little further along the road than them. Me, they think I'm some crazy religious zealot who, you know, likes to do this for a living. You know what I mean? I mean, I love being a pastor, but as a job, it's not fun. Right? But I do it because it, God has called me to run the race so as to win it. And there are lots of people in your life who need to know that you are more committed than them. It stinks. I know. Why can't they be the committed ones? But that's what being a disciple is. And that's what serving is. I mean, when Jesus left the world, uh, when after his resurrection, uh, Peter came to him and said, you know, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, you know I do, Lord. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Right? And the best place to feed sheep is in a church. Because they're more likely to come into a church than anywhere else. Yeah, I know, you may have some guy at work who, you know, some friend at work who's a believer and struggling with church and that sort of thing. But feeding people is best done here. It's easiest done here. Let's put it that way. It's easiest. Can you assist eight other people in the ministry? Can you assist eight other people into trusting in God above all else? I can't do it. I can't do it. Listen, I I'm going to tell you what. I was, I'm going to be way more honest. I'm just going to be way more honest than I was in first service. You guys deserve it. You know what pastoring a big church is a lot? You have a lots of money. You have big screen TVs, and it feels like Costco, and it's really exciting, but it still comes down to those eight people. That's what it comes down to. I mean, if somebody gave me a million dollars tomorrow, we could have a big church. We'd have thousands more people in here because it would, they, they would, based on a lot of it, would come in and out because of money because of popularity. But that's not what serving Christ and winning the race is about. Serving Christ and running, running the race so as to win it is about trusting in God above all else and being faithful to whatever he calls you to do. That's what I'm going to challenge you to do in 2020. Be faithful to him in every way. And a good news for you, a lot of it that just means just showing up and doing whatever you can do for the kingdom. If that means serving at Crisis Pregnancy Center once a week by helping the ladies there, building cribs, do it. If that means coming here and helping out with the VSM, you know, the, the PowerPoint thing, do it. If that means being a chaperone for the high school group when they go to Tsunami and all this other kind of crazy stuff they were at this week, do it. Because it is just showing up that makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. Third thing real quickly Oh, let me just mention this. Remember, starting to serve and quickly giving up yields little or no results. That's California. Everybody says, oh, I'll do it for a week, and then they don't do anything. Longevity really does matter. stick to itiveness really does matter. I know churches, and I will tell you that the first couple of years of a pastor's ministry, nobody really believes him. You know why they don't believe him? Because they want to know if he's for legit, for real. They're testing it. They do. You know how you tell. I know. I've been a church person too. I've been on both sides of the aisle. I know what it's like. You want to know that I really believe what I believe, and that I'm willing to go to the mat for it. Sorry, I'm willing to. That's a guy expression. I'm willing to. I'm willing to. Yeah, make it happen. I don't know. I can't. I can't translate that into lady ease this morning. 
Starting to serve and quickly giving up yields little or no results. That's what people do over and over again. They start something, they, they go for two weeks, and it just falls through. Hey, you know what the church is a lot of times like? I wish I could throw back the, uh, the screen with the boat. I won't put it back up there. Have you ever been whitewater rafting with a bunch of random people, not like your buddies? What happens when you go whitewater rafting? When you go whitewater rafting with a bunch of people, I've done it lots of times before, random people, there's always, everybody climbs in, there's some macho male who sits up front, right? And when you get started, he's, right? And he looks back and he's like, why aren't you guys rowing? Right? And they're all like, well, I don't need to row because you're doing all the work. Right? Listen, I cannot be that macho male. Okay? I can't. There is a limit to the amount of rowing that I can do for this church. And really, I can only affect eight people with my rowing. That's it. Which, by the way, is the size of a raft for whitewater rafting too. The question is, are you willing to row? Are you willing to commit? Are you willing to trust? Are you willing to allow God to be the end all in your life? I'm over time. Let me just go fast here real quickly. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That's what happens, right? When you hire a contractor, I'm, I'm not making any negative statements about contractors in general, but sometimes when you hire a contractor and you, you want them to finish the tile work in your, you know, your bathroom or something, they come in, they do half it, and then they don't finish it, right? And you've got to get after them to finish it. Well, finishing is what matters. Finishing it what matters. Third thing, idea real quickly, is that we must build our kids' building. I know that this is less spiritual and more tangible, but the truth is we've got to put that thing up. Let me just give you the real quick 30 seconds. By the way, the Bible says in Nehemiah 2.18, And the people of God said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, yes, I'm taking that verse totally out of context. That is about Nehemiah building the wall. It's not about our kids' building. But I'm just making it as a little bit of a funny thing. Here this morning. The Bible tells us that we should make space for people to worship. We must make this a priority this year. We've got to get our kids' area built. This is part of providing for the temporal needs of people, food, shelter, also a legitimate space for children to worship. We just don't have that here. It is holding us back tremendously from doing what we need to. Adequate space will bless our church. And by the way, our community, because our church is a bulwark against hopelessness and despair, but it will bless it for a generation. Let me just say this. You can do this. Number one, pray every day for the building. Number two, give to the completion. Number three, serve during construction. That's the most important thing is number one and number three. I know money. Forget the money. I mean, we need it, but forget it. You know what I mean? All of you guys, it's, I'm going to pick on the men here. You come, you swing a hammer, we'll get it done. We only have two more things to do, and the city's going to prove it as we understand. And we're going to just, the steel will go up real quick, and then you and I will come here and we'll put down the tile We'll put up the insulation, we'll put up the drywall, and we'll be done with this thing. And we'll have a huge area for children to be able to minister to them. It is a part of our heritage, it's a part of our future, it's a part of what God is calling us to do. And it is all involved trusting in him to be able to complete this plan in our lives, to be able to have a space to do ministry to children. We need it, calling you to be a part of that. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you this morning, Lord, that we are able to come this morning and worship you. Father, I pray that we would put our trust in you and that, Lord, we would not neglect the body of Christ. We would not neglect the bride of Christ, that we would not neglect your church this year. 
but that, Father, we would commit, even if that means just showing up, that, God, we would commit to your discipleship, your calling, that we would commit to helping eight people also commit. Lord, it's a thankless job, but it is the race that winners run, committing to you and drawing people to yourself. God, I pray this morning for our church that we might be able to fulfill that calling. In Jesus' name. I hope today is that we will commit to our church for the glory of God in 2000.